welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is Stefan Griffin, I'm a member of the BGSM editorial team and today we're doing things slightly differently where we've got a multidisciplinary team and we've got four other guests around the table um, and we're going to be talking about the athletic shoulder test and more sort of um, in detail about return to play in regard to shoulder injuries. So with these four guests we're going to get each guest to introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Nav Singh and I'm a sports scientist for Arsenal Football Club. Daniel Cohen, a researcher at University of Santander in Bucamaranga, Colombia and a consultant in force platform uh, use in elite sport. Hi, I'm Laura Tullock. I'm a senior physiotherapist at Saracens Rugby Club. Hi, I'm Ben Ashworth, recently of Arsenal Football Club for the last six years and now working with people to solve athletic shoulder problems. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much to all of you for joining us today. Um, and I think we'll really just crack on. And I think the most interesting thing for people who might be familiar with the, the athletic shoulder test, or the ASH test, as we'll call it, is really the story behind it. So I think, Ben, should we crack on with, with a bit of the journey behind the, the test? Yeah, that's great. Um, we we uh, were looking together as a group to... Uh, to solve a problem and uh, the problem that was outlined by the guys at Saris and you'll hear f hear more about this from Laura in a minute was working out how to determine whether someone was ready to go back to the contact situation particularly the arm tackle where you had those longer levers higher forces um, and higher speeds that were involved and we were in a position whereby Saracens had already done a lot of testing around this area um, and we'd already done a lot of lower body testing and we had Dan who's um, an expert from the force platform perspective. We came together to try and solve the problem and we came up with this idea of looking at the ASH test and then the story sort of goes from there. Fab and so Laura this is probably a good time to bring you in. Yeah. Um, so tell us sort of about that, you know, in, in regard to rugby in particular, wh why there was a need for such a test and how you use it clinically? So what happened uh, with the connection with Ben was that at Saracens Rugby we were trying to come up with a battery, a cluster of uh, upper limb shoulder tests. And we used a few routinely. We were using handheld dynamometry um, in the early stages, um, on and off isokinetics, which is more difficult to do in the field, um, and some gym-based strength markers. And we felt we had a good battery of tests, but what we began to identify was that um, a, a return to impact for us was something we, we weren't testing as well as we could. So we began a thought process with uh, the other author, Paddy Hogman, who's now with uh, P3 Performance. And he's, uh, we came up with the concept of using a, a push-up initially. So we had a contact with Dan to look at using the force uh, decks to, to do upper limb during a push-up test. And we looked at narrow, we looked at wide, and we began to look at plyo push-ups. Um, and we became, it became apparent that we were, we were getting some interesting data, but we weren't too sure what to do with it and how to apply it. And so it was communication with Dan that then led to us opening this out really into the field that we're, we're talking within now. And, uh, and that led to the ASH test. So what we found was the discussion of this long lever test correlated quite nicely with a few clinical cases we had going on at the time. And that was players returning from uh, shoulder surgery 
and they were going back into contact and if it was very close contact sessions where it was quite a narrow uh, impact then they were quite confident but they were expressing uh, um, a uh, uncomfortableness or a discomfort going into a grab tackle or a long lever or if they had to reach behind them to grab somebody quickly and that was where they suddenly said I'm very anxious and we realized none of our tests were flagging that concern and uh, and the use of this test actually began to highlight something to us and, and that's where we developed the test and began to collect the data. Fantastic. So that's a really interesting story in terms of uh, the use of the test but for people who might not have seen the videos on Twitter that maybe sort of give us a practical demonstration. Uh, ben, do you, want to talk, do you want to talk us through, you know, physically and sort of practically what the test look li looks like? Yeah, sure. It's, um, it's a test that looks at a maximal three-second isometric, and it's taken from what we did with the hamstrings and the lower limbs at Arsenal. So the concept was there, and then it was, okay, how do we expose the athlete to these long lever positions? And we looked at a T position as being most likely, so the arm at 90 degrees abduction, to represent some of the problems that Saracens were experiencing. But because of the potential for looking at other angles and other athletes from different sports, we also explored the Y position, that kind of 135 degree abduction angle, and the I position, which is the sort of 180 if you like. The athlete lying prone on their front uh, with their head on a block, um, a four centimeter block to standardize the spine position and their feet hip width apart. So that was really important to standardize the position for that test retest reliability. Um, the actual test itself was as fast and hard as possible after some discussions with Nick Maffioletti about getting the best out of a test with regard to rate of force development as well as the commonly used peak force metrics. And once that was done and we were familiarized with the tests, we knew we could trust the data and then it was about us putting together a reliability study to show that the test itself was reliable. But there were some other intricacies around making sure and quality assuring the test itself actually on the day and doing it and something around the coaching which I think NAV is probably best place to uh, to tell us a bit more about. So uh, my role came from came within this is to quality assure the data basically looking at each um, individual force trace and making sure there was no flags that start of movement was correct um, and also when the end of the study I did the data analysis. Fantastic and in terms of the reliability paper is now published in the British Open Journal of Sports Medicine. Um, does one of you just want to run us, run, run us through the reliability data so that people can who may not have read the, read the paper can sort of get a quick summary? Yeah so we, we looked at the reliability on 18 elite rugby players at Saracens and we found that the reliability was excellent so the ICC's ranged from 0.92 to 0.98 across all three positions for dominant and non-dominant arm. And sort of bring it back to a clinical sort of story and the, the clinical role of the test, Laura. Um, so within a daily setting, I know you mentioned that it, you've used it in sort of people coming back from shoulder surgery and things. Are there any other uses, sort of on, a, on a, like daily use, do you use it as a monitoring tool to sort of flag up issues or how does it work on a, on a daily basis for a, for a team like Saracens? So we found the test actually very useful for a couple of different reasons. Uh, when we were completing this study, um, one of the uh, applications of it was for the return to play. And that was in athletes originally with um, no injury 
within the last few days. But obviously in rugby players, they tend to carry a lot of old injuries uh, and it's very rare to get someone that hasn't had some form of upper limb injury in some description. So what we began to pull out of some of the data as well was differences in shoulder uh, peak force, left versus right, and that was players that were playing currently um, and were not in the class of being injured. And what that was interesting for us was as a monitoring tool, as you discussed, uh, and that's useful for us because it's often when you're playing, the focus is slightly off the old injuries. And, and often if you forget about those, they turn into bigger problems further down the line. So it highlighted for us a, a few things that we needed to continue working on. And interestingly, they fell into a few categories. So it fell into players that had differences left versus right in peak force. Um, we had a couple of interesting players with old um, post-op shoulders or a few AC joint sprains that's very common in rugby. And with them, sometimes we saw very little difference in the peak force between left and right. But in the graph, um, which Nav often reviewed for us, was, was a difference between how quickly they were actually making that force. And for us, that's incredibly important for how they're actually feeling on a rugby pitch, because often it's that you have the strength. And, and that's what we were sometimes seeing with these post-op was we were getting where we wanted to in the gym but actually the application to the real world was how quickly can you use that? And that's what this test bridged for us. Um, I think in other concepts that we can use this study with, we've discussed that when we originally did the study, we did the test within 72 hours. So we did two days, a day and then the second day, and we saw a drop off in the scores. So it has a, a potential to have an application around fatigue monitoring. Um, and that's something that we're playing around with a little bit more at the moment. We, we don't necessarily have as much information for what that's telling us, but certainly by day three it had come back up to normal. Um, and so that was something with the reliability study that we made sure, obviously, that they didn't do anything within that 72 hours. But for future use, maybe it's worth us looking at the cost of a session. So what does a rugby session do? What does a scrum session do um, from, from our clinical side of things? I think what everyone's touched on or alluded to and or, or been specific about is the the rate of force development and the not how much force but how quickly um, obviously the paper was a reliability around peak force and, and the reliability was was excellent um, it's well known that RFDs are, are less reliable we did look at that we looked at the RFDs um, and it took more familiarization to achieve good reliability. Some players get that quickly. Um, it takes more coaching um, and specificity in that coaching around fast and hard, not just producing maximal force. Obviously, there has to be a willingness to, to produce that as well. Um, but there's evidence out there, and I think this is the the potential that that data or that that test can then give you um, a means to to look at force long lever rate of force development and capture some of those residual deficits that the evidence shows that exist or at least RFD deficits seem to persist longer than force deficits and that's been shown post ACL and post hamstring Fantastic. Um, and just so listeners are clear, we're not just talking about, uh, we've got fantastic case studies from rugby here, but, you know, we've this has got direct applicability to other sports, And although, you know, Petr Cech would make a great second row. Um, this is also sort of useful for 
sort of any sort of upper, any sport that uses upper limbs. So you've got data for other sports, and you've, can you sort of give us a flavour how it might be useful for other sports as well? Well, yeah, we were very clear that we didn't want to put this out there until we'd established that it was a trusted test, you know, from the scientific rigour perspective. And of course, as we've all said, we're still exploring and still building intelligence around certain markers that we're looking at. But there's been significant interest since this um, publication came out about the test. And currently there's projects ongoing in cricket, uh, baseball, tennis and swimming. And the different applications there around using a reliable test, but again, going back to what Laura was saying, looking at the cost of sessions um, and looking at that potential to pick up fatigue. There's also some real interest in how particularly rate of force development metrics might be used to look at an athlete's potential to protect their joints, so an injury prevention capacity. But very interestingly, and this would be the silver bullet, is looking at some of those more performance-related things like throwing speed um, and and it's early stages around these as well but we know the data is there it's it's the thought process that counts so it gives you something that fills a knowledge gap in this area um, that that hasn't been explored before and then more and more people uh, using their brains like Laura and Paddy did in their in their sport to solve their problems can use this test um, knowing that they can trust the data and then start to correlate their own injury levels and also their own kind of performance-related questions around around the data that they're getting. And I think it's really interesting that you've mentioned there that this you know we've heard a lot about rate of force development and force plates, especially in regard to lower limb injuries. So it's interesting to see it developing now within an upper limb setting. But I think it would be so one thing I think we need to touch upon is that no test is ever one hundred percent perfect. And you know, people can be consigned post people to the publications that you've mentioned. Talk us through maybe some of the limitations of the test and what you know some pitfalls that maybe you've come across in working in sports and how you overcame them with the test. So not everybody has a force platform, uh, but we're very keen to put forward that it's the thought process and not the technology that counts. So we've explored other ways at which people can do this test, and as a master's student. Um, supervising a project that he's doing which is looking at the validity and reliability of a SFIG cuff. So a cheaper option which will pick up, certainly pick up peak force, it won't pick up RFD, so that other people can look at testing athletes in those wider positions and those overhead positions. There's also been some publications actually in this area, so as we were doing some literature reviews around, around the subject, there's a swimming population in a paper in Japan uh, of university students who were already doing a handheld dynamometer in an eye test position. And we've mentioned that as well in the um, in, in our publication. So that, I suppose, is, is one of the limitations which we've tried to address when we're coming across um, getting the thought process out there, out there to the sort of wider population so that they can use this uh, and, again, have a think about how they might um, test people slightly differently to pick up other, pro other issues. Yeah, brilliant, Dan. You mentioned uh, you know no test is no single test being uh, you know solvable, um, and I think the we've we've talked about this in in the editorial as well is is the way in which you're getting peak values, rate values, and I think Laura will maybe speak to some of the use of the the plyo push up and the way in which let's say the landing 
phase of that plyo push-up shows similar patterns as has been reported in the, the landing for drop jump or CMJ in terms of offloading the involved side. So um, I guess the, the collection of tests, having this toolbox where you're able to pick up residual deficits or deficits specific to the injury or to the activities that they need to perform and I think that's that's the you know the creativity around that and that's why I think you know underpinning that that point about the thought process and uh, and really applying we've got so much from the lower limb it's time to uh, to to apply that thought process to the to, to the upper limb yeah I would agree I think that's um, something that's come out of this really is for me the process of finding that problem that we had it was the gap that was missing it was using the skill of everyone to to come up with that answer and I think that it's different for every athlete which is what we're seeing so some of them certainly went through uh, our ash test and actually came out and it was a confidence booster we had no problems whilst we were using it it was part of our cluster whereas maybe on the push-up and the plyo push-up landing they were much more uncomfortable they didn't know it but they were landing slightly differently left versus right and that that gave us a different approach so i think i think it's using or finding something for the problems you're having and making sure that if if anything for a test is a test for the athlete but it's also a test for the the clinician and it's to make sure that we're covering our bases um, we look at our rehabs and we hope that we tick every box but if we don't have a marker to make sure that we are ticking that box um, then we're going to miss something and that's when we cause these problems so I think that's where we have these tests to help us tick those boxes off and then that leads you on to exactly what you want to do in the rehab so if it's an impact and it's a landing issue that's what you focus on if it's a long lever strength issue you work on their strength in a long lever and there's plenty of ways of doing that um, so I think that's where that helped us guide the rehab much more specifically much more individually for the player and ultimately for the two players we had that were quite complex coming back it certainly helped smooth that process and gave us the confidence to put them back into a contact situation. Okay, thank you for that. I think that's probably the absolute perfect way to sort of to end the podcast. I think it's be it's sort of it's clear that it's a really interesting test and it's also a really interesting story sort of behind the behind its inception and also to see sort of like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, there's the multidisciplinary aspect to it. Um, so, Nav, Daniel, Laura, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you on here. Um, to the listeners, we can, I'll happily, in the blurb to this podcast, you'll find links to the editorial, um, to the publication, the BMJ Open um, Sport and Exercise Medicine Journal, and also we'll put all the Twitter handles for all, the, all of our guests here um, and links to the various videos and podcasts. You've been listening to BJSM Podcast with me, Stefan Griffin, and the multidisciplinary team around shoulder return-to-play tests. Have a great physically active day. <laughs>